Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. Welcome to our Nothing But The Poem podcast. We've got a special edition today. We've invited Norman Angus into the studio, who is a specialist in Japanese poetry. And we've had some really interesting discussions on the sound, the sense and the um, perfume of Japanese poetry. Could you say a little bit about um, the poet that you're particularly focused on um, and that you've translated and co-translated and that you're going to talk about a bit today. Yes, um, the first thing is that I co-translate because I I do believe that the highest fruits are where not one but two can reach. Um, Also particularly because Japanese sensibility is so finely tuned that it's easy to get it wrong. The language is so vague that it's so open to interpretation or perhaps misinterpretation. Um, the vagueness of the Japanese language is notorious. Okay. Um, they will they will say something like bought. And they'll have no subject and there'll be no object. So you don't have the two main elements. What did you buy and who bought it? <laughs> so the subject and the object are yeah. just abbreviated. Which could make for some interesting um, kind of very open styles of writing, but then at the same time trying to translate that must be really difficult. It is, although the poet that I'm going to talk about, uh, Hagiwara Sakutaro, um, is for the most part quite specific, which makes him more translatable. Interesting, okay. Um, there, is, there is less vagueness. Okay. So it makes the task slightly easier. It makes it considerably easier. (laughs) (laughs) It takes it out of the realm of impossible, virtually impossible, which classical um, Japanese poetry, though I do translate it, um, um, it's really, really difficult to translate. But the modern poetry, which is influenced by Western poetry, it's all free verse, um, is much more translatable because it's much more concrete. Um, there are the, the vaguenesses w- within the Japanese language. For example, there's no singular or plural. So that if you say something like isu, it can mean a chair, or it can mean chairs, and any number of chairs. And if you're writing a poem, you obviously get a very different atmosphere if it's one chair, a solitary chair, or whether it's... You know, dozens and dozens of chairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, You completely change the mood. Um, So there are issues of of ambiguity and vagueness in the language that that come up regularly. Um, But I just, well, I fight with my translation partner and (laughs) usually end up losing. Well, the craft and the craft of um, translation being to make those decisions, but then making them together sounds like that's an important thing. It it is, because the sensibility is so finely tuned um, and there is this leeway for interpretation uh, and that we want to get the best possible uh, solution, um, yes, for 
for our readers. Yeah. Can we hear a poem um, from Hagiwara Sakutaro? Uh, yes. Um, I thought I would start with a war poem, uh, partly because of the backlog of the Ukrainian war, partly because of that cultural bias, and particularly a cultural bias in times of war, where our patriotism is allowable. You have a poem like Rupert Brooks, The Soldier, where he's claiming Belgian soil if he dies there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it ceases to be Belgium. Yeah. It becomes Britain, yeah. um, which is perfectly acceptable because he's on our side. <laughs> yes. uh, but if it was the other way around, um, if it was uh, a German poet supporting the Nazi regime, he would be censored quite mm. strongly by a, an English reading public. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always poets in time of war who are against yeah. the war. Yeah. Um, and this is a poem that Sakutaro, uh, one other nice um, little uh, bit of information is that the Japanese call their writers by their first name. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So I've got students always calling William Shakespeare William. <laughs> Which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but well, Bill, not Bill. But not Bill, not quite. <laughs> I don't think I had ever called him Bill, but um, his, his family name is Hagiwara, mm-hmm. and his first name is Sakutaro, but he's known as Sakutaro. So I'm going to do the Japanese thing. Um, Sakutaro wrote this poem um, called Troops, and it's... He, he, he insisted it was not an anti-war poem. It's quite clear the sentiment is anti-war. But he had to insist that it was... Yes, for, because, of course, Japanese censorship, particularly in times uh, of war, or actually at any time, uh, with regard to going against the emperors, because the emperor was God. Mm. He was a god. Mm-hmm. Um, was severely dealt with. Um, there was a, a, a poet called uh, Yosano uh, Akiko, uh, a woman, a female poet, who criticised the Japanese um, war in uh, Manchuria uh, earlier in the uh, um, 20th century. And there was an assassination attempt on her. So it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's serious stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, so he had to insist that it, 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 it wasn't. And so uh, this is a poem called Troops. Um, you might be familiar with the Kipling poem Boots, where it goes boots, 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 boots. Uh, it's something similar to that. Um, the interesting thing about the poem is not only that it is anti-war, um, and that is interesting because a lot of the poets were expected to write pro-war poetry as the voice of the nation. So a lot right. of them did. Right. So openly. Yes. Openly nationalist pro-war. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, this is not. Also, there are sections in it which have words um, which the Japanese know know as gyongo. Uh, the rough translation for that is onomatopoeia. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, you know the 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 the, the tick tock of the clock and, and stuff like that. It's actually a little bit more um, 
focused on the actual sound. It's actually the attempt to recreate sounds with letters and words. Okay? That's so these words don't exist. Okay. These, these are created. Right. And they're supposed to um, imitate the sound of a battalion of troops marching through a street or, okay. or whatever. So it's the, the, the guns, the rattle of the guns, the um, swishing of the, the clothing and, and stuff. It's all the like that. acoustic sound. Yeah, that so you get all these strange sounds, and I haven't translated them uh, because if you did get something like clunk, clunk, swish, swish, it would it would become comic, right? And there's no need because they're brilliantly done. Okay, uh, should we try it? Uh, I'm really going to go for it because it's, it's it's a very powerful poet, poem. So troops. This weighty human machinery clamps itself down upon the land, and the land so strongly trodden reverberates and gives up a thick curtain of dust. Rolling on through the midday heat, behold this robust machine of colossal weight. Its oiled black metal is awesome in its resistance, gigantian, Clamping down the land, this huge regimented locomotive. The shiri, the shiri, batari, batari, zak, 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 zak. Wherever this mighty mechanical atrocity goes, nature's colour pales and yellows. In the sky, the sun sinks into shadow, and the will is overwhelmed with heaviness. One, two, one, two. Oh, this oppressive great black regiment, lines of burning gun barrels pass through, on through a murky cloud heavy with soil, as against a sea swell, countless Weary faces pass on through. Zack, 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 zack. A one, two, a one, two. Under an overcast sky, heavy steel machinery passes on through. Countless dilated pupils pass on through. Pupils loosened with fever, empty and lifeless. They wander amidst the dreadful shadows of yellowed scenery. Weary, fatigued, bewildered. A one, two, a one, two, in, step. Oh, numberless pupils above the dust-laden road. They look into the gloomy daylight and see an unreal city of white, its feelings darkly imprisoned. Now, rolling through this midday heat, behold this robust machine of colossal weight, and its oily black metal. 
Wherever this mighty mechanical atrocity goes, nature's colour pales, the air yellows, and the will is overwhelmed with heaviness. A one, two, a one, two. Wow. That was an incredibly powerful performance of the of that poem and the weight, that oiled black weight of the of the language and of the of the image that is created is really, really strong. It really, is really it's, strong. It's quite a powerful quite a powerful piece. Yeah, yeah. blown away. Wow, yes. And it, but it was portrayed as a he tried to sell it as not an anti-war poem. And he 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 succeeded. He succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you think that balance was managed? Because that to me that feels like a, a real kind of dehumanizing um, I think it was because it was not in the heat of war. Right. Um, but I don't know how he got, how he got away with it. Yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Because it's such a, yeah, it seems, to, yeah, that. It's as anti-war as you can get, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that focus on, yeah, the, the machinery of dehumanization and um, loss of, of nature, the nature in there that's being kind of destroyed. and He doesn't mention through. the emperor, that's. Oh, okay. So he manages to avoid it by not mentioning the emperor. Yeah. Wow. wow. And it doesn't necessarily state that it's Japanese troops. Mm-hmm. There's no okay. indicator. It's it's vague that. Yeah. So that's, it could that's be any it, troops. Right. So the vagueness there yeah. is, is part of the kind of defense mechanism yeah. of it yeah, yes. as well. Maybe. I, yeah. don't, I, I really don't know how he got away with it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So is that kind of, you've worked a lot on, on Sakataro's um, work obviously and there's there's volumes here that you've um, co-translated is that indicative of his style or is that quite um, unusual of his work or? there I was just reflecting on which poems to select because it was so hard but the variety is is pretty gobsmacking okay yeah um, he has very very sensitive beautiful poetry um, about love and women and that are just so delicate and so... The metaphors are so different. He likens women to, to soft rain and, and, and things like that. And incredibly delicate. Um, he was hypersensitive, um, almost too sensitive. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 Could we hear one in... I think you'd selected one that, we, that you were going to read in, in the original Japanese. Yes, uh, because... It'd be amazing to hear, yes. hear the other side. Okay, yeah. okay let's do that. Um, I've chosen this piece because I think it's one of the most technically brilliant um, poems that I know. Um, it's, I'm going to read it in Japanese so that you can at least try to get some idea of the sound system behind it. Um, Japanese only has five vowels. Now, we only have five vowels, but we have over 2,000 vowel sounds by joining them up. Um, Japanese is, is it's difficult to pronounce, it, to pronounce, but it shouldn't be because it only basically has 50 sounds. Right. So right. it should be easy, but it's not. Okay. It's easy for computers. It's the easiest language for computers to, to pick ah, up. Ah, interesting. Okay. Um, but it only has five vowels, and they're always pronounced the same way. And you can put them together, but they're still pronounced the way they should be pronounced. 
So in terms of the poetic line uh, and kind of syllabics and um, yeah, using yeah using those kind of um, assonance and things like that, it's it's quite different in that sense. It's because it's they're they're structured. They're very strictly structured in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the five vowels are a, i, u, e, o. And I'm interested in poetry in general because I think we tend to focus on consonants and rhyme a lot. Um, I'm interested in vowel sounds and, and vowel structures within poems, which I don't think many people really do. I do that because I, I used to do a lot of music and a lot of singing and voiced sounds. Vowels are all voiced, uh, particularly the fricatives like P's and, and T's. They, they, they're not voiced, right? And the thing about the voiced thing is you have a difficult, a different physical experience mm. when you're reading it mm. mm -hmm. from the the explosives of the P and K and, and you so know. the actual voicing is feels different and yes. is different and, yeah. and your Adam's apple if you're male will go up and down and you know there are vowel sounds to the front and the vowel sounds that are deeper down so E is right at the front there your Adam's apple is up and U is inside and it's a physical uh, experience uh, that you get and Sakutaro uses this uh -huh. okay. very, very cleverly in the poem because it's a poem about upward movement and then downward. So he uses upward vowel, vowels um, in the poem when he's picking the turtle out of the marsh. It's, it's all upward and you, and you can actually experience the upward thing um, with your your larynx or your, your voice or you know you can actually feel it as well so it's a it's a physical experience that is added to the actual meaning and then um, it's about the meeting of two worlds um, the poet's world which is the wood and the turtle's world which is the mud of the marsh um, and after they meet a meeting inevitably means a parting, so he has to put the turtle back. Um, but as he puts it back, he has been changed, and the turtle has been changed by the communion. Yeah. And so the meanings, which may be downward, darker meanings, are mixed with upward vowels. So we get this very mixed world that is it, it is just brilliantly created. So I'm going to read it in Japanese if I can, um, and then maybe read it in English and talk a little bit about it. Well, that's really useful. So we'll be listening out as you as you read it in the Japanese. We'll be listening out for that kind of physical movement. Um, and yes, and direction. Yes, and I'll I'll read it slowly um, so that you can maybe pick up. Kame. Hayashi ari. Numa ari, souten ari. Hito no te ni wa omomi o kanji, shizuka ni junkin no kame nemuru. Kono hikaru, sabishiki shizen no itami ni tae, hito no kokoro ni masaguri shizumu. 
亀は蒼天の深みに沈む。So I don't know if you picked up the U and the E. Uh-huh. And, then that and how they got kind of mixed towards the end. And then that place, it felt like, yeah, and the placing down of the turtle. Yeah, and it just kind of sank back down into the, into the mud. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, but with not just the darkness of the mud and the ooze of the numa, the, the um, marsh, but it has been transformed and it, it, it yes, yes. You, you'll, you'll understand when you hear the poem in English. <laughs> okay. okay. If I can find it. Um, because Japanese verse has no rhyme,、uh, because partly the word order and partly、um, because The verb comes at the end, and so the verb endings would all be the same kind of rhyme, so it would be very unnatural. The, the people have tried,、mm. it's, it's horribly unsuccessful、mm. whenever people do. The,、um, the kind of staccato. Yes. Kind of, yeah. So, as a translator, you know, you've got to create some interest for the. And, and because it's unstressed, there's no stress, so you can't do your iambic pentameters or things like that. So, there's, there's no. Rhyme, there's no rhythm, and there are no stanzas. <laughs>、um, so, what, what I did with this poem is that the world seemed to be so, have so much in common with, I don't know whether you know the opening of Thomas Wolfe's、um, Look Homeward Angel.、Um, it, it, it goes like this A stone, a leaf, an unfound door, of a stone, of a leaf, of a door. And of all the forgotten faces. Naked and alone, we came into exile. In her dark womb, we did not know our mother's face. From the prison of her flesh, we have come into the unspeakable, incommunable prison of the earth. It's a very dark, stark world vision.、Um, and it, it, Reduces life to three elements、mm. things that are dead, a stone, things that are alive, a leaf,、mm. and something else which we don't really know this unfound door.、Mm. That metaphor that kind of opens it up again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and this poem is, is very much like that. There's the, my world, the world of the You know, on the ground, and then there's a subterranean world, and there is the azure sky, which is the transforming element in the poem. Okay, so here's the poem in English.、Uh, so I, I took, I, I stole Wolf's rhythm. Okay, fair enough. The turtle, a wood. A marsh, an azure sky, weighty in the hand, silently the golden turtle slumbers, glowing, enduring nature's pain. Then, 
groping its way deep into the heart, the turtle sinks into the Azurian depths. So as the as the turtle goes down yeah. on the surface of the water, it looks as though it's rising up into the sky, the reflection. Because it's got, yeah, okay, yeah, it's a mirroring is, effect. And so that's the mixing of the sounds, the up and down yeah. sounds. You've got the going down, but it's also going up, yeah. and this reflected um, in the sound system. It's brilliantly done. The Japanese is brilliantly done. The translation is not as good, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but even there, you were saying, and that's interesting in the process where um, you're saying it's it's in Japanese poetry. There's so little to go on in terms of um, structure. Um, I mean, with the I, modern poetry, with modern poetry, yeah, and that, that's me simplifying mm. massively, of course. Yeah, that you then. When you went to the translation um, process and began the translation process, you had echoes of another form in mind in order to try and structure this this translation. Yes, um, because we have this very, very rich um, literary tradition in English and in Scots uh, and in, in Gaelic. I wish I could. Um, uh, I wish I had more grasp on that because I think Gaelic would suit a lot of the Japanese mm. Uh, lyrical poets okay. really well. I did actually translate Nakarachuya, uh, not very well. Uh, it's because he's a lyric poet and because so much of the enjoyment is pure lyricism. And I just went ahead with it. What I realized later was that if I could have used Sorley MacLean's rhythms and, and, you know, the sounds and that it would have fitted perfectly. So I'll have to do that again. But this is the kind of thing we have to do because, um, and I'm always aware of sound, um, even though there's maybe no rhythm um, or no rhyme or no stanza, you can pay attention mm, yeah. to, to sound in general. And the rhythms of, whether it's nursery rhymes or the Bible or Shakespeare, um, there have been attempts to put Japanese poetry, modern poetry, into rhyme. It is disastrous. It, is, okay. it becomes just comic. So I don't do it. Yeah. So with um, um, your focus on translation um, and Sakaturo in particular, um, I, and I think it's fascinating that there's echo, you always working with other echoes and other voices, and so yes. it's never a one-to-one -one relation between you and the poet or the poem. You've all, you're always, there's always things circulating, and, and it's interesting you focus on sound um, as the kind of the mechanism for that. Um, so in contemporary, I mean, um, Sakatoro, when was, when was Sakatoro writing? What was his period? 1880. I think he was born the same year, around the same year as T.S. Eliot. Okay, right. And he right, died, right. I think, in, was it 57? You know, okay. Yeah. So then con even more contemporary poets now, are they working in westernised forms as well? Or is there much more kind of interaction, um, for want of a better word? Of Both. Course? Right, okay. The, the stanza is becoming quite popular. There so are poets that, that write a lot yeah. of in, in triplets or in couplets. Right, right, right. Uh, and sonnets and, and, and things like that. They don't attempt to rhyme them right? because it does become comic um, and very that. unnatural. Yeah, but they are using, they are kind of using structures, like in the, yeah, using structures from Western Much more Western so traditions. than the early. Okay. The earlier, um, yes. That's interesting. Poets. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I think there's often that um, the other way, the other relationship, the other way around where a lot of Western, uh, Westernized um, poets writing tankers and um, yeah. um, haikus and all those kinds of things, but not maybe not necessarily, ugh, I always haver around the word authentic um, or um, original because they're, they're complex terms in themselves. But um, there's a lot more nuance in kind of tanker and, and haiku than sometimes we're... And there are a lot more rules. And a lot more rules than we're often There are lots and lots follow. and lots of rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So that exchange... But it's still fruitful, the, the exchanges between the different traditions and the different... Absolutely. And there are Japanese uh, haiku poets or, or renku poets that... Um, do not use the rules. Okay. There are yeah. all sorts of schools. You've always got to bend the rules. You've always um, got to put, yeah. 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 Uh, and there's those schools that keep very tightly to them. So yeah. you've got variety, which is great. Yeah. And and the fact that Japanese forms of poetry um, are spreading out and being um, um, becoming more popular abroad. You know, the, the hike, because it's 17 syllables, it's like really easy for anyone to put a pen to paper and just put a wee thought down into a hike. You know, um, so it's 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 a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, usable, and accessible, and it's yeah, very accessible, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and yes, nice user friendly. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's why there's so many poets in Japan because it is. Uh, but if you're talking about strict classical um, haiku and things like that, the the rules are mm. um, really important, and they add a depth. Mm. Um, also because a lot of it is um, not, uh, it's people who know each other who are writing together. So the yeah. collaborative thing, you've got a common source of knowledge and things like that, that um, it's it's very different from just people getting together and doing an association game and making a piece of linked verse. Exactly. That's a very simplified version yeah. of, of, of what it actually is. But there's, yeah, there's a deep tradition there. I'm wondering if we could hear one more poem. Um, do you have one? I do. Do we have time for another is it, one? How, is it a shortish one? <laughs> it's shorter than the troops one, but okay. it's, it's, it's a prose poem. Okay. Um, well, let's finish. Yeah, let's finish on um, a Sakatura poem. Okay. Um, so, I chose this poem because it's a late poem. Uh, it's a prose poem. He wrote quite a lot of prose poems later in life. Um, and I've been very impressed by the Scottish Poetry Library's um, initiative, uh, Poetry for Wellbeing. I think it's really interesting and really important. Um, and just noticing the initiatives like their um, uh, co uh, the, the, the cooperative uh, initiative they have with the Scottish Association of Social Work and the anthologies, the tools of the trade, and uh, to learn the future for doctors and teachers, um, getting together with universities and stuff like that, uh, and then out to professions or to the public or to people. Uh, so I chose this one because it's, it, it, for me it has a great um, perhaps role um, for people with some mental health issues or people who feel very isolated in society. It's again, it's, it's, it's a very strong, powerful poem. 
Um, not all of his poem is like that. There's some lovely uh, things. But this is called um, The Octopus That Would Not Die. And it's kind of... Um, it's about how to deal with the anger and the frustration of being forgotten or not being accepted. And he wasn't accepted. He was regarded as the good-for-nothing son of the doctor, and doctors are idolised in Japan. Um, and it's, I think it goes very well in comparison with something like Rilke's The Panther, mm-hmm. being in the prison, but the solution... What, how to how to deal with your frustration is very different. Okay, it's very dark. Are you ready? Are you ready for this, Sam? Let's finish on this. <laughs> the octopus that would not die. In a tank at a certain aquarium, an unfed octopus was kept for a time. The thin underground shade of a rock was fused with sad beams of pallid light from the crystal ceiling. Everyone had forgotten that dimly lit tank. Everyone thought that the octopus had long since died and that only stagnant seawater was left in the glass-windowed tank with a dusty sunlight shining down on it. However, the animal had not died. It was hiding in the shade of the rock. And when he awakened, he had to endure day after day the dreadful starvation of that ill-fated and forgotten tank. There was nothing to prey on, so... When all source of food was gone, he plucked off one of his tentacles and ate it. One, two, begin with, then a second. Then, finally, when there was nothing else left, he turned his body inside out and started eating parts of his internal organs, little by little, from one part to the next, in order. In this way, the octopus ate up all of his body, from his skin, from his brains, from his stomach, everything, every bit and piece to the very last morsel. Nothing was left. One morning, When the attendant went there by chance, he found the tank empty. In the murky, speckled glass, the inky, blue seawater and the slender seaweed swayed to and fro. There was no longer any sign of life in any of the nooks and crannies of the rock. The octopus had disappeared. However, he had not died. Even after he had completely vanished, even then he lived on in that tank, in that old, empty, forgotten aquarium tank, forever and ever, no doubt over many centuries, a creature 
that no human could see, living on in terrible want and discontent. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's very powerful. <laughs> yeah, I was, powerful I was told piece. when I read it before that it, they wouldn't take their children to hear me recite. <laughs> we made them cry. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a vision. That is quite a vision and um, quite a solution to, um, to isolation. But and apparently octopuses do. They do eat themselves. Wow. Okay. Um, in extreme circumstances. Okay. To sustain themselves. I, I think wow. it's... Yeah, yeah. A metaphor for the poet sustaining themselves on their own on their own poems but i think the poet is a very dark poem but it puts people who are ignored um who are starving and, and their needs and their anger it puts it out on the page mm. for us to recognize mm. and though it is a very dark poem i think it it has a powerful message well, for yeah. for us that and a deep empathy there as well yes yeah. yes wow well we've only managed to really really scrape the surface yes we didn't have, we didn't have time <laughs> time, time for the 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 lighter stuff you know? but i i hope that uh listeners um will be inspired to seek out um sakataro's work um and even more work in translation um japanese work in translation is there something that you would recommend are there anthologies out there are there ways um to to get into there japanese there, there are one or two old anthologies right. um but nothing up, kind of up to date. The, the contemporary poets, some of them have been translated. Okay. Uh, but it's not as interesting. It's 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 kind of too close to us and, and okay. our yeah. lives. So it's not, you know, as fundamentally alien as, as some of the to get that shock of the new almost of yeah. the, the modern poets, the yeah. original uh, okay. modern poets are. Yeah. Well, thank you, Norman. Thanks so much for thank you for indulging me, giving, uh, giving us a a, a, a soupçon of. Um, of what we could expect if we went a little deeper. Um, but it was fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for your generosity. Thank and you so for, much. For sharing so much. Um, and I hope that listeners enjoyed that. Um, it was an extended version of our Nothing But The Poem podcast. And we will be doing more and more of these um, as we develop them. So thank you for listening. And thank you to Kevin Williamson on the pedals. And thanks again to Norman Angus. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Thank you.